Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Man, it is so good to be home. I'm going to tell you what, for those of you that are regulars, a bit away from the other locations the last three weeks, it's just good to be home. Come on, that's right. Good to be together again. For those of you that are new, we're kind of in a, a season where our different location pastors, the bridge, of course, is one church in four locations, uh, Smithfield, Princeton, Goldsboro, and Mount Olive, and our four location lead pastors have been circulating. We've been playing musical pulpits for a while, and so I've been in our Smithfield location, our Goldsboro location, excited to be back home this morning to Princeton where I normally have the privilege to minister again for those of you that don't know I also have the honor of serving as the senior pastor of the overall ministry and so I have responsibilities on that side too but it's again good to be home and what we're doing during this little series is we're doing what we're calling felt board faith we're looking at some of the old testament stories a couple of years ago we did this and and the stories we looked at were the better known stories. I mean, Jonah and the big fish and Daniel and the lion's den and that sort of thing. And so this time we decided, let, let's, get, let's find some a little more obscure stories because the Old Testament is full of these nuggets, these simple two or three verse nuggets that are just so rich that if you don't take the time to read it, you just don't even know about them because it's not the sort of thing that we talk a lot about, we preach or teach a lot about. One of my favorites is a message or a, a story that I call Shama Defends His pea patch. And so that's what we're going to lean into for just a few minutes this morning. Shama defends his pea patch, also known as Shama take a, takes a, a stand. The reason this is one of my favorites these days is because I've been thinking a lot about this lately. This idea of what is worth defending. Where, where am I going to take a stand? And so I want us to share just a little bit about this man, Shama, and maybe pick up some principles for us. We don't, all, don't know a lot about him. He was one of David's mighty men, one of those 400 warriors that David gathered around himself for his personal bodyguard. In fact, Shama was number three among that 400 mighty men, powerful guy. But here's the little story we know about him in addition to that. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Brought your Bibles. You can flip that right quick or you can go to the Bridge NC app and, and the, the, uh, the outline is there. All the scriptures I'll be sharing are there in the app. Just go to Princeton and notes and you'll find it there. It's also on the screens. So let's go together. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 11 through 13. I'm giving it to you in the, in the NIV. Here we go. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field, in the middle of the pea patch, I like to call it. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So just get the picture. I'm not going to camp out here, but I want to make sure we've all got the, the picture, give a little background. Children of Israel, of course, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, Charlton Heston went to Yule Brenner and said, let my people go, or I think it was Moses and Pharaoh, but anyway, you know, let my people go. They wandered in the wilderness. They've now come into the promised land called Canaan, where they have settled, but there are still enemy states all around them. And one of those enemy states is the Philistines, who had this pattern of waiting, kind of hanging back while the Israelites planted their crops and they cultivated the ground and sowed the seed and took care of the crops. And then finally at harvest time, they would swoop in and steal the harvest. So they let the Israelites do all the work, but then they came in and got all the reward that came with it. And it went over and over and over again. So I want you to get the picture because again, I've been thinking a lot about this in our lives today. The picture is the Israelites are getting up every morning they're kissing their wives and 
husbands could buy. They're going to work in the fields. Every day at the end of the day, they come home. They put their youngins to bed, eat some dinner. They get up the next morning. They repeat the cycle. They're going through their life over and over and over again in this kind of rote sort of way, oblivious to the fact that the Philistines are preparing, planning, training for that day that they will swoop in and steal the harvest. Everybody got that picture? Do your heads like this. You got the picture? Okay. You that are home, do your heads like this. I'm going to see it. Okay. You got the picture. The next season, guess what happens? Same thing. They just keep doing what they've been doing, expecting somehow to get different results this time. They get up every day. They go to the field. They work. They go home. Uh, they kiss their babies goodnight, and they get up the next day and do it again. And the Philistines swoop in again. Now, what I want you to understand is that many of these stories in the Old Testament are called type and shadow. They are types of a physical reality that's a type of a New Testament spiritual truth. And so in our story, uh, of course, the Philistines represent Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal the harvest that Christ has brought you, which is life and that in all its fullness. And the Israelites represent, you want to say it or you want me to? They represent us. We're the Israelites in this story. But on this day, Shammah says, enough. I ain't giving up no more harvest to these usurpers. I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to trust God with what's going to happen next. We don't know a lot more detail, but I do believe there are five principles that are worth exploring this morning as we kind of think about being that person, that you and me, that Shammah, not the ones who flee, but the ones who take a stand. Five principles, I believe, that are in this thing that we need to learn. Maybe we need to be reminded if you already knew them, but mostly we need to act on those principles. Ready to get into it? Five simple principles. Try not to keep it too long. I ain't making you no promises. Pastor Allen went for 45 minutes last week, and I didn't hear a single complaint, so I'm just going to have at it. How? What do you say? I didn't get any applause from that line, so I guess I won't. Thank you. I got two. All right, thanks. Thanks. Checks in the mail tray. <laughs> okay, here we go. Principle number one, we were created with a warrior's heart. We were created with a warrior's heart. I can almost see Shama standing there that morning, broad-shouldered, fill his chest with lungs, uh, his lungs with air, kind of stood out there, head high, took a deep breath, called on the Lord and said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm done being run over by these enemies. And the Bible says that God won a great battle that day. But hear me, first, Shammah had to take a stand. God won the battle, but Shammah had to take the stand. And what I want you to understand is that every one of us was created with that same warrior spirit. Every one of us was created with that warrior heart. The Bible is clear. We're created in the image of God, not the physical image of God because God is a spirit, but in the spiritual DNA of God, we're created in his image. And and, and part of his DNA is our God is a a warrior. Uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 3 says it very straightforwardly. The Lord is a warrior. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. We love to talk about God's grace and we love to talk about God's love and God's richness and his forgiveness. And we should and we will continue to talk about those things. But in the process, sometimes we've neglected this aspect of his spiritual DNA. Our God is a warrior. And we were created in his image. And that's incredibly important when you live in a culture that does its best to suppress that Christian warrior spirit. 
Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? So I just wonder if there are any warriors in this house. Second principle is godly warriors need a righteous cause. Because of this warrior spirit in us, we need a, a righteous cause. Sometimes it's a lifelong cause. Sometimes it's different causes in different seasons of your life. Some, you may have multiple causes and you prioritize them according to your availability. But you get to decide, bottom line, what your pea patch is. But whatever it is, just know this. Your warrior heart needs a cause. And it needs a cause that's worth investing your one and only life in. It needs a righteous cause. In fact, because of this warrior spirit, if you don't find something righteous to take a stand for, you'll settle for something unrighteous. Is it true? I've seen people do amazing kinds of things because of this warrior spirit. You look at history, I mean, it's how people like Hitler can get a nation to rise up and kill six million Jews and, and almost take the world. That's how people like Osama bin Laden can get men to fly airplanes into World Trade Centers and kill thousands of people in a single moment, but not just on a terrorist kind of level. I've seen it in homes. I've seen husbands and wives screaming at each other, the people that they love the most in life screaming at each other, and sometimes that even escalates to physical kind of abuse. That warrior spirit in us cries out. And if we don't find a righteous cause to rally it around, we'll settle for an unrighteous one. I've seen churches do it. First church that Kim and I served together after we were first married, uh, you know, it was one of those you know, traditional churches that had a quarterly business meeting and, and everybody in the church had to vote on everything the church did. Oh, Lord, please don't ever take me back there. But here we are. It's time for a quarterly business meeting and, and somebody makes a motion that we paint the sanctuary. So we called it back then the sanctuary. And uh, we're just simple. Well, okay, piece of cake. The guys will get together. We'll paint the thing. Uh, do I have a second? Everybody said second. Simple, piece of cake, right? I was 25 years old, just getting started out in ministry, 24 maybe even. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's a piece of cake. Simple. Oh, floor's open for discussion. <laughs> Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> the discussion became, do we paint it white or ivory? Is there a difference? Apparently to some people, there's a really big difference because it really became a big deal until one of the deacon's wives finally stood up and said, I'd sooner seen this place burned to the ground than painted anything other than white because white is the color of holiness and our God is a holy God. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. It's unbelievable the stuff that we will do and fight over when we don't have a righteous cause to rally around. And it was my fault. As a young pastor, I didn't understand that a huge part of my job was to give them a righteous cause, something that was worth investing their one and only lives in so they wouldn't fight over the color of the paint or the color of the carpet or stupid stuff like that. They'd start fighting over the enemy, the real enemy. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. What are we doing fighting each other? And yeah, that's what happens. And it's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this fall at the bridge because we're going to be launching in all four of our locations. We're going to be rallying together around what I consider to be perhaps the most righteous cause of my life. We're simply calling it building for the generations. And we're going to be talking about what we as a church are doing to raise up the emerging generations, to invest in the emerging generations. And I'll tell you now, I'll give you a lot more detail this fall, but I'll tell you now, 
Uh, it's going to require some warriors. I wonder if there are any warriors here today. Principle number one is we're created with a warrior's heart. Principle number two is that because of that heart, we need a righteous cause to rally around. Principle number three is the one I really want to camp out on because I want to make sure you get this. And that is when we are passive about this righteous cause that God's shown us, something precious dies. When we're passive, something dies. It's the reason that Solomon said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, no doubt, but it's the reason Solomon said that without a vision, the people perish. With a vision, they flourish, but without a vision, the people perish. They, they start to splinter up. They start to group up. They start to go, or this clique wants this, and this clique wants that, and they all find their own righteous causes. Without a clear vision, a, a direction from God, one translation calls it, then ultimately the church dies. It's why I'm convinced that, the, that 86% of American churches have either stagnated or are dying right now. I mean, that's the reality of the people that research this stuff. And I don't say that with anything but a broken heart because that reality means that America is struggling right now because the the church, the local church, is the redemptive art of God in our nation. 86% are struggling to survive? I'm not talking COVID. I'm talking pre-COVID. That's just the realities of our times. They're going through the motions. They're going to church. They're singing some songs. They're shaking the preacher's hand at the end of the service and and saying, good sermon. And then they have a a covered dish dinner once in a while and they think they're doing something, but there is nothing to rally that warrior spirit around. One pastor that I was reading after some time ago tells a story about teaching on the importance of vision and having a cause to rally people around and and, uh, to a group of leaders he said, a man came to him afterwards. He said, would you, would you consider coming to my church and teaching what you just taught us here? And he said, well, yeah, if I can work that out of my schedule, I'd be glad to. Where do you pastor? And the guy said, oh, no, I, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a lay leader in the church. And, and he said, well, I, I, you know, I couldn't come without your pastor's invitation. Go home and talk with your pastor. And if he wants me to come, <coughs> I'm sure we can find some sort of a schedule to work something out. And he said, well, I, I, I don't know if my pastor would invite you or not. Could you just call him? And he said, well, I, what would you want me to say when I called him? He, say, say, he said, say something like, get a target, any target. Put it on any wall. Just give us something to shoot at because we're dying. That's the reality of what happens when you don't have a righteous cause to rally around and ultimately something precious dies. Can I show you why? Is it worth a few minutes to show you why? So this is not just something I've observed in life. This is biblical. This is solid stuff, okay? Go in your mind to the Garden of Eden. Beautiful, perfect setting, idyllic kind of setting. Adam and Eve (coughs) are given these three simple tasks. Number one is to tend the garden. You take care of the garden. I mean, you're talking about an easy task. We're talking about tending the garden when there are no weeds, there are no thorns and thistles, there's no sweat, there's no bugs. I mean, it's a pretty easy task to tend a garden in that setting, right? Any gardeners here? You have to put up with all that stuff. Gardening's tough, right? The second job he was given was to name the animals. And again, pretty easy because there are no limits. I mean, just 
Give them names, whatever it is. I, and so it started out pretty easy. He said, well, a little tiny thing, I'll, give that, I'll call that an ant. And this big thing came along and ate one. He said, well, I'll call that an ant eater. And, you know, it's a pretty simple kind of task that Adam had there, you know. Uh, but somewhere, you know, there's a little flying guy. We'll call that a fly. Okay, well, pretty easy, you know. Eventually, he got some writer's block, apparently, because he came out with, with platypus. I mean, <laughs> where'd that come from? And he landed on wombat. I don't know, you know, so it was a struggle, but it was a pretty easy job, it seems. And, of course, the third job was to make babies. We won't talk about that today. But those are the three jobs that they were given. Pretty simple jobs when it comes down to it. But even in that beautiful, idyllic setting, they were given a righteous cause. Their righteous cause was to take care of the garden and don't eat that cran apple. Do not eat that fruit on the tree of good and evil knowledge. You want to guess what happened? Anybody want to guess what happened? Anybody know what happened? Satan came into the equation. This is what he does, the Philist, whether it's in the form of the Philistines or in the form of something else that you're dealing with in your life right now. Satan came in to the equation, and he started whispering into Eve's ear, ah, protecting that tree is not a, not a righteous cause. Are you kidding me? God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. That, that's, that's all that's going on here. And in case you don't know the rest of the story, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 tells us, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. But she didn't stop there. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And what happened? He ate it here. Here's what I need you to hear, okay? Uh, they both sinned. They both disobeyed God. And the result was death entered the equation. They got kicked out of the garden, and death entered the equation in that moment. And in case you're wondering, that's still happening today. That, that, they set in motion something that we have to deal with the reality of to this day, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, when people sin, what happens? They earn what sin pays, death. And so sin, disobedience, always introduces Death. I've told you before, the Greek word for death there is thanatos, and thanatos carries with it the idea of the misery that always accompanies sin. There's always misery that accompanies it. It may be eternal death, but even if it's not eternal death, it could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of your, uh, of, of your own sense of self-worth. It could be the death of a cause. It could be the death of all kinds of things. But sin always leads to death. So when God shows us a righteous cause and puts it in front of us and says, here's what I put you on this planet to do and here's why I created you with a warrior spirit and I want you to rise up and do something about this cause and we shrink back from that for whatever reason. We disobey for whatever reason. Something dies. You see, here's what I want you to get. Look at their sins closely. Eve's primary sin was rebellion. I don't care what God says. I want it. Therefore, I'm going after it. What was Adam's primary sin? Oh, he disobeyed too. He rebelled too. But what did he do before that? Absolutely nothing. He stood by while Satan 
whispered to his wife, here's what I want you to do. He stood by while his wife took that fruit and ate it, and he joined in, became complicit in her sin when he joined her. In other words, Adam's primary sin was passivity. At any point, he could have said, yo, girl, no, we, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We ain't going there. We ain't doing that. Or at the very least, he could have said, well, girl, you can go down that road if you want to, but I ain't going with you down that road. He had the chance to take a stand, and he didn't. And the result was something precious died, which is one of the reasons why James was inspired centuries later to write James 4, 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We were created with a warrior's heart. Godly warriors need a righteous cause to give our one and only lives to. When we get passive about that cause, God says it's a sin and something precious dies I wonder if there are any warriors among us. On the other hand, principle number four is when we embrace our righteous cause, passion grows. When we say yes to the righteous cause for which God calls us or to which God calls us, passion begins to grow. And there's so many examples of that in Scripture that give a lot more detail than Shammah, but the principles are the same. Nehemiah became aware while he was cupbearer to the king. He was a pie, he, he ate pie for a living. I mean, it's a pretty good job. But he found out that the walls of his hometown were destroyed. The defensive walls were gone. And when he did, God called him to make a difference to rebuild those walls. And he accepted that righteous cause. The result is he took a risk. He became the governor of the region. He organized the people and he rebuilt the wall. Gideon found out that there was a huge cause, great need. The Midianites were about to conquer the nation. And initially, Gideon said, oh, I don't, oh, not me. I'm the poorest member of the lowliest family of the weakest tribe in the nation. You want me? You're calling me a warrior? Are you kidding me? That's not me. But eventually, he embraced that cause. And when he did, he tore down the false idols in the nation and ultimately took the Midianites down too with a handful of Righteous warriors. Peter, once he matured, quit opening his mouth just to change feet and all that stuff, became the guy who preached the sermon on the day the church was launched and 3,000 people were saved. And he opened the door for the Gentiles to receive the gospel as well when he embraced the call. Deborah, Esther, Ruth, I mean, go on. Men and women throughout scriptures, different stories, different people, same principles. What I'm trying to tell you is that in every one of these cases, these men and women did not shrink from the call on their lives. They stepped up and took a stand. And when they did, God did something that everybody, including them, thought was probably impossible. God won a great victory that day. But first, Shammah had to take a stand. And I don't mind telling you, 
that I, I'm not telling you something this morning that I've read in a book somewhere. This is the way I've lived my life. You guys that know me well enough know that this is the way I've lived my life. And, and even though I'm going back to Arctic Blonde, nothing has changed for the passion that is in me. I get up every morning fired up to say, what are we going to do today that's going to make a difference in this world? In fact, I don't even wait to get up. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm taking notes about some idea that the Spirit has dropped in my heart about what we're going to do next and what, what hill we're going to take next and what life we're going to save next and, and what, what kid we're going to help next and what family we're going to restore next next and and that passion is there that drives us it's a passion that says this church is going to make a bigger difference in the future until Jesus comes than it ever has in the past I wonder if there are any warriors in this house Something happens when we get a righteous cause and we rally our hearts around that cause and God begins to make a difference. You embrace it and a fire gets lit inside of you. Like the prophet Jeremiah who was told to warn the nation the judgment was coming and and he got huge opposition and it got hard sometimes. 20 verse 9 of Jeremiah, he says, Sometimes I say to myself, I'll forget about the Lord. I, I won't speak anymore in his name. But then his message becomes like a burning fire inside of me, deep within my bones. I get tired of trying to hold it inside of me. And finally, I cannot hold it in. I wonder if there are any warriors here today. Principle number one is we're created with this warrior's heart in the image of God. Principle number two, godly warriors need a righteous cause to commit their only one and only lives to. Principle number three, when we get passive about that cause that God shows us something precious dies. Principle number four, when we embrace that righteous cause, passion grows and God does amazing kinds of things. And in case you're wondering, What's my cause? What's your cause? So I well, okay, I hear all that, but <clears throat> what does that mean in practical terms? Principle number five is simply righteous causes tend to fall in two areas. So I want to kind of zero in for a second and we'll close, but I want you to think about this. Two primary causes as you consider that one and only cause for which God has called you. Godly warriors know, here's the bottom line, godly warriors know that there is no fulfillment in being self-centered. Your willingness to get beyond yourself and see the needs that are going on around you is either the ceiling to your growth in Christ because you're unwilling to see it or it's the launching pad to where God wants to take you. But you get to decide whether it is your ceiling or your launching pad by your willingness to get outside of yourself, to get outside of your insecurities, to get outside of your fears and respond to his call by faith. When you live for others, that's when fulfillment comes. Which is why Nehemiah knew when it was, there was no way he was going to build these massive walls big enough for chariots to ride on top of. He couldn't do that by himself. He was going to need every uh, hand, uh, every person working together, every 
person doing everything they could. And he knew that when he rallied them, he could not appeal to their selfishness or their consumerism to get it done. He did not rally the people and say, okay, guys, I got a deal for you. Oh, boy. I'm going to, a career opportunity for you. I'm going to pay you the most money you've ever made. And, and, and there's benefits and paid vacations and time off and, and retirement programs. Come on. Who's with me? He didn't use that. Why? Because he knew at the end of the day the job was too big to rally based on their selfishness or their consumerism. What did he do? He rallied them by reminding them of a people that they loved, which is the first group of people, the first category of people that righteous causes often fall in. It is a people to protect, a people to protect. Look at what he said, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of our enemies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What's he doing? He's saying there's a people worth protecting. There's a people worth sacrificing for. There's a people worth dying for. They are your sons and your daughters, your brothers, your wives, your homes. Because he knew ultimately that's The only way that you get things done, and they rebuilt those massive walls in just 52 days, one of the most amazing engineering feats in all of human history. Another time, King David, when he was on the throne and he realized that Israel was under attack and he he sent his best general and his best men, his mighty men, out there to join that army, to rally them. 2 Samuel chapter 10 kind of records what the general said to those warriors again. He didn't say, I got an extra five bucks for everybody who put their life on the line for this. He didn't say, you know, there's bonuses at the end of the war. That's not what he said. In chapter 10 verse 12, he said, be strong and let us fight bravely for our people for the cities of our God, and they rallied and won the victory that day. Guys, when you accept the mantle of a godly warrior and you embrace that there is a people that you and you alone are called to protect, to take care of, to do something about, something rises up in you, a fire is lit in you, and you make a difference, and you get to look back one day and say, wow, Look what God did with my little offering of self. I got to ask, I won't linger, but I do have to ask as your pastor, is there a person? Is there a group that you would die for? And if you think that's extreme, I get it. I, you know, we're living in a time when people might say, well, that's, that's really extreme, but in, it's what the Scriptures say. We all know John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know First John three sixteen? This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sister. Now, understand, when I say lay down your life, die for, is there somebody you would die for? I'm not necessarily talking about taking a bullet. I mean, that may be your call. I don't know. 
I'd rather it not be mine. But (laughs) I'm talking about living unselfishly. I'm talking about dying to self. I'm talking about helping kids with homework when the game is on. I'm talking about helping out your elderly neighbor who has a need when you'd rather be doing something that you enjoy doing. I'm talking about living unselfishly. If you don't have a people like that right now, if you don't have a group of people like that right now, let me beg you to do three things. I'm going to move on, but three things, okay, right quick. If you can't identify them right now, then I'm going to beg you to do three things. Number one, don't stress about it. God's timing is perfect, and he will show you who that people is when his timing is right, okay? Don't try to force this cause. God will show you the cause. Number two, focus on getting ready for the battle. You focus on getting ready to go to war when the cause is yours. Your job is to get spiritually ready, grow, develop, get into the growth track, get into a small group, get on a serve team, be a part of what God is doing so that when the call comes, you're ready to answer the call. And then three, keep your spiritual eyes open. God will show you righteous causes. In fact, there are righteous causes all around you all the time. They're not always magnificent, take a bullet kind of things. I had a, a, a lady come to me one time. She said, Pastor Jim, I, just, I thought you might enjoy this story. Something happened to me this week. And I said, yeah, I'd love to hear it. She said, I, I got up one morning and I was getting ready for work. And, and I saw a pair of shoes in my closet that I bought some time ago. They don't fit just right. And, and I didn't care for them that much. So I decided, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably get rid of these shoes. And it's just like this quiet kind of still small voice of God. I don't know what it is, but something in my spirit said, take them to work and give them to somebody. So I put them in a box and I went to work and, and I got to work and I'm sitting in the, 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 the office cafeteria and staff's in there having lunch and I overhear a conversation at the end of the same table that I'm sitting at and it's a lady that I didn't know who's talking about needing a pair of shoes for a, for a family gathering. Oh, I think it was a wedding or a funeral or something like that. She needed a pair of shoes. She didn't have a pair of shoes. She didn't have any money to buy the pair of shoes with. She went to her cousin who's got a closet full of shoes and said, could I borrow a pair of shoes from you and her cousin said well you know I kind of need all my shoes so no I'm sorry I can't and she said this lady and this lady talking to me said you know I'm sitting there and it's like ding 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 that's why the Lord told you to bring these shoes to work and she said I happen to have a box of shoes that I was looking somebody to give them to would these work for you and she passed them down the table and the lady started crying you understand that it stopped being about shoes in that moment it became about God heard my prayer and he cares about every detail of my life and somebody else heard the voice of God and responded to the voice of God and has made a difference in my life. Hear me, righteous causes are not always huge, earth-shaking, make-the-news kind of things. They're ultimately about there is a warrior spirit inside of me and I'm listening intently for the voice of God to tell me what he wants me to do and when he calls, I will not shrink back. Oh, by the way, Miss Cousin, all she's got is a closet full of shoes. (laughs) So open your eyes. Pay attention. Choose to serve. Watch God use you in amazing kinds of ways. I said they fall into two categories. Category number one is a people to protect. Category number two is a kingdom to advance. A kingdom to advance. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 
Jesus said these words from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Let there be no mistake about it. There is a war for the souls of men and women going on right now. I thought I'd get two amens. There is a war for the souls of men and women going on right now. There is a war for the souls of your children and your grandchildren right now. There's a war going on for your marriage right now. There's a war going on for your financial health right now. There's a war going on, and Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But before you can do anything about those wars, you have to decide whose kingdom you're going to build. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Alan Redpath wrote many years ago, before you can pray, thy kingdom come, you got to be willing to pray, my kingdom go. If somehow you think your righteous cause is moving into a bigger house or driving a newer car or wearing the latest fashion, nothing wrong with any of that stuff, God blesses you with it, enjoy it. But if somehow you think that's the righteous cause for which you're investing your life, then I'm here to tell you that's not true. i got to close, but the question is, will you embrace this warrior heart? Will you focus on a righteous cause? Ask him to show you what it is and step up, not back when he shows you. Jesus took a stand for you. Will you take a stand for him? Consider it. I ran across, across a, a, a quote quite some time ago. Some of you might be familiar with it. You can Google it or I'll just email me and I'll send it to you. I've, I've researched it best I can to try to find out who actually said it. I, I haven't been able to find the original author, but it's said to be words from an African pastor who was on the verge of being martyred for his faith. They gave him the opportunity to make one expression, his wife and children standing there watching while they put him in a hole in a mass grave, gave him a chance to share last words. And here's what he said. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity or promotions or plaudits or prosperity. Popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor in the power of the Holy Spirit. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away 
away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till I'll know, work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no trouble recognizing me for my banner is clear. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Are there any warriors in this house today? Any warriors in this place today? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So often we get our sights on the world and the limitations of our lives and forget that God created us with this warrior spirit and has given us everything we need to accomplish everything he's called us to do. And I sincerely believe with everything in me that the best is yet to come until he comes. I just need a few Gideon's army warriors to say, let's make a difference in our times. I believe I'm talking to a few right now. Let's pray for that. Father, you, you see us, you know us, you know what really goes on in our hearts on a day like this as we talk about a topic like this. So would you forgive us for our passivity? Would you forgive us for our selfishness? Would you forgive us for those times that we have an inkling of what you've called us to do, but, but we let fear or busyness or selfishness stop us from stepping out. I pray in this moment that that warrior spirit would rise up in us and remind us that we're, we were created on purpose, with a purpose, with everything we need to accomplish that purpose. Stir that warrior's heart in all of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. I'm not going to keep you. The altars will be open in a minute. You can come and pray with somebody. would love to pray with you today. Please take advantage of that. But at the very least, would you pray a simple prayer with me? Jesus, I want to make my banner clear. I want to fly the flag that says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. When the time comes for me to take a stand, I'm asking you to give me the grace, the courage, the faith to take it. I will not shrink back. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying. You know where they are in their spiritual journey, where they were when they got here. Some perhaps who've never prayed a prayer like that in their lives and others who have walked with you for years and even decades. I pray that something has started in our hearts this morning that will make a difference in our times for your sake, for your glory, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together,